This Shabbat, we begin a new book of Torah, and we look forward to our Dalt B'nai Mitzvah, Anshay Mitzvah, teaching us tomorrow. When you open that book, it says, Eli Shmot B'nai Yisrael, Asher Yardu Mitzrayimah. These are the names of the Israelites who went down into Egypt. The names of all the tribes are listed. And then the story starts to unfold about they went down, and there they went in search of bread. They went as refugees. And what happened to them? Uh, they became enslaved. They've been caught, caught up in the oppression of Egypt. But that same Torah portion then talks about those heroes who rose up against that situation, whose presence of God was in them to have the courage to speak out and challenge and bring our people forward to not lose hope in times of darkness, but see that freedom can be something that we can reach and bring back into our lives with passion, love, hope, and strength. Well, we have someone we want to welcome to our Bima, Reverend Dr. Brown. His job that he's done so amazingly in this community, but well beyond this community, has been to be that voice to raise us back up again and look towards the future of hope, even in times of deep challenge, and see that we can stand up against oppression, that we can unite with different faiths and different colors and different perspectives and say no to that which is wrong. He has had the courage to speak out in San Francisco to improve our school system, to change our government, to encourage our police force to see the holy in every person. And we are indebted to him and to Mrs. Brown and to Third Baptist, whom we welcome. Will you welcome them, everyone? And the profound partnership that he began 33 years ago with this congregation to bring back hope and keep it alive. Brahim Habaim, we welcome you, Reverend Dr. Brown.
Good evening. Two rabbis, Beth and Jonathan Singer, my friends who come double in twos. To the leadership of this house of healing and hope. To all the members of Third Baptist Church family and our sister communions. Ladies and gentlemen, when I reflect on the fact that this night marks 33 years of unbroken interfaith, interreligious, intergenerational fellowship. <laughs> and when I think of the fact that this is the 33rd year, I'm reminded of the story of a teacher who was teaching math. And she decided that she would engage her students by calling out a number and rearranging the numbers. And she stood up, looked at Johnny and said, Johnny, if I turn 34 around, what that, would that become? He said, 43, teacher. She looked at Susie and said, Susie, if I turn 67 around, what would that become? She answered accurately, 76. But then Samuel, way in the back, said, teacher, I got something. Let me see what you can do with it. 33, now mess with that one. <laughs> and I assure you that what we have been doing for 33 years, nobody can mess with that kind of an immovable, outstanding record when we live in a world where there's so much division, too much hate, and indeed, a whole lot of hypocrisy. So give yourselves a big round of applause that we have maintained 33 years together. I would like for all of us to know that one of our deacons, Deacon Anthony Gerald Wagner, has a favorite hymn and his favorite one of mine too. And it, there's a verse, that second verse, that goes, many are they who started in the race, 
but with the light they refused to keep pace. Others accepted it because it is new, but not very many expected to go through. We expected to go through as two communions, and again, we ought to give great shout out for Third Baptist and Temple Emmanuel. Let me acknowledge the chairperson of our deacon's ministry, Deacon Alfonso Camel over here to my left, and his wife, Diane, please stand. And the chairperson of our deacons, our trust, excuse me, trustees ministry, Brother Preston Turner, please stand. Now let all of the congregants of Third Baptist please stand. And one of the dearest of that fellowship is our mother, Jane Smith, who is 101 years old, and this March will, God willing, be 102 years old. Hold your hand up, Mother, over there. Tonight, <clears throat> I wish to share with you some thoughts around a pericope in the life of the prophet Jesus of Nazareth. And in the eighth chapter of Matthew, verses 23 through 28, it reads on this wise, then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him up saying, Lord, save us, we are going to drown. He replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what manner of man is this? Even the winds and the waves Obey him. What manner of man is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? And I just want to talk out loud from this subject. What manner 
a man was one Martin Luther King Jr. That we are gathered here tonight. What manner of man was he? This black boy born in the red clay hills of Georgia, son of the manse, grandson of a Baptist preacher, student of one Benjamin Elijah Mays, possibly the last of the great schoolmasters, graduate of Morehouse, Crozer Theological Seminary and Boston University with a coveted degree of PhD in systematic theology. What manner of man was he? Well, I know those who know something about higher criticism and thank God don't take that Bible, that book, literally. For we have too many Bible bangers around here now. All they know to do is bang the Bible. But the Bible and the good truths of learning how to do justice, to love mercy, and walk humbly with their God, they never measure up to it. But I want to take this pericope, I repeat, and dig into it. Unpackage it. Hopefully make some application that will enable us to understand why we are together and what the legacy of Martin Luther King Jr. can do to save us from the storm that's in America. We sang a song often in our churches in the Baptist tradition, Master the Tempest Raging. Why canst thou lie asleep? The bills, winds, and the waves, the song goes, obey him. Now, I don't want to get bogged down in whether or not it was scientifically attainable or possible that one spoke to the waves and they kept quiet. We have this something in common, something parallel from both traditions. For after all, we are told that Elisha calls an axe head to swim. Now you won't get any confirmation that that really happened. For if you have some iron, it's going to sink. But the point was made from these two pericopes is that in this life, every now and then, God raises up men and women who are distinct, so unique, that even the multitudes sing their praises. And I think that we should delve deeply into understanding that Martin Luther King Jr. was a man greatly imbued with the spirit of Jesus, the prophets, and indeed, his teacher, Benjamin Elijah Mays. At Morehouse College, 
he met a tradition. Let me say this, it's time that we in our culture, if we're gonna deal with the moral storms that are upon us, the political storm that's upon us. And if you don't believe we're in for a tsunami, you let number 45 get back into that White House. You haven't seen nothing yet when you think of what is coming down upon this nation. And I want to say to you this night, that as we go through the storm of this nation, in which we are now faced with the possibility of this president being impeached, we must keep in mind that we had better have aboard the ship men and women who know how to speak to turbulent and tragic times and bring sense out of insanity, hope out of hopelessness, peace where there's war, and more importantly, love where there's hate, and wherever there's division, bringing about unity. Somebody needs to speak up and speak out. Well, if we're going to calm these angry waves, I want to suggest to you that we had better have some five-star, five-star men and women who will be the wells of hope, of happiness, of healing, and joy for this nation. You know, at Morehouse, it was one Robert Franklin, one of the presidents of our great institution, who captured a compendium of the best of the traditions of a Morehouse man. And he concocted the phrase, the wells of a Morehouse man. And I just want to walk around these five wells that I consider so necessary for us to get aboard a ship and have a safe passage on the other side. The first one is, we ought to be well-read. Well-read. That's what they taught us in Morehouse. And you know what? Somebody said the best way to keep folks from getting to know something is to put it in a book because we don't read. We let CNN, MSNBC, the pundits, the potentates, and the analysts do our thinking for us. But Martin Luther King Jr. was taught at Morehouse to crack that book open and don't think you can get your lesson by osmosis with putting the pillar <laughs> under the pillar, a book. You better crack it open and read it. And even in the Christian Jewish tradition, Jesus of Nazareth was enlightened. He knew how to read. For the Bible does say in St. Luke, the fourth chapter, this young rabbi went to his hometown where he had been reared, and he stood up to read, and he read, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to do what? Set the captives free, to preach good news to the poor, to unstop deaf ears, to give sight to the blind, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. 
and he closed the book. And as an old rabbi would do, he sat down and began to expound on the words of God. I think we need to get to the point of saying that back on track is so necessary for we have too many children in our school systems, not just in San Francisco, but throughout this nation who cannot read, cannot compute, they cannot even read their names if it were in boxcar letters because we do not insist on our children getting away from that tube and getting a book to crack it open so that they might learn something and put something in their brains and not dope in their veins. That's what America needs to be about. That's what Third Baptist has been about and Temple Emmanuel Thank God we are teaching children how to become well-read. And then we can bring calmness and peace to this nation and further advance Dr. King's dream by being well-spoken, well-spoken. Many wonder, where did Dr. King get his oratorical skill from. I'll tell you, sitting at the feet of G.L. Chandler, who taught us how to stand up, articulate, state what's on your mind, and make sure you know what you're talking about before it comes out of your mouth. <laughs> Dr. King indeed mesmerized us with that I have a dream speech. But for friends, he learned it at dear old Moab's. If you're going to speak for God or speak in behalf of the people, make sure you're well-spoken. And I think number 45 can learn that too. <laughs> this vulgarity, this meanness of speech that's afoot in America, just think about it. Jonathan Miller needs to get his speech together. He needs to speak kindly about immigrants. For after all, his grandparents came to this country from Eastern Europe fleeing oppression, but what has come out of his mouth? We got to keep those people out. We got to protect our country from the terrorists. But my God, we don't have to wait for somebody to come from the Middle East to terrorize the nation. For back in 1963, four little girls on a Sunday morning who were there to study the word of God, were bombed to death by some members of the Ku Klux Klan. I don't know about you, but that sounds like terror to me. Just the other day, right here in San Francisco, over at Sacred Heart Prep School, what happened? A little boy, 14 years old, puts on Instagram, such terrorizing statements about African-Americans. 
saying that he was going to get a gun and kill all of the N-word at Sacred Heart School. And to add insult to injury, what did the administration do? It tried to sweep it under the rug. But if it were a black child at Lincoln High School, if it were a black child over at Lowell, they would be summarily kicked out of school and sent to juvenile hall. I come to make it plain and make it straight. We got to watch our speech, how we talk about who's doing what, and make sure you got your subject together, you got your facts together, and speak truth to power and not have any alternative facts in this nation anymore. So you got to be well-read, well-spoken to bring calmness to this nation. But the other thing we were taught at Morehouse, you had better be well-traveled. I like that. For some of us act as if we are the last pebble on the beach in Mother Earth. But when you get out of your comfort zone, when you go across the street to see somebody else, go somewhere and discover what other people have in common with you and what their experiences and difficulties have been. And if they achieve success too in the storms of life, you will be inspired to do the same. That's why, my friends, it was a good thing. Last year, NACP, under my leadership as chairperson, of the International Affairs Committee. We took 250 people to Ghana, West Africa to see what happened to our ancestors. You have it rightly so in your perspectives for this evening, looking backwards to what happened in Africa, and we can't go forward to bring calmness until America admits that the slave trade for 400 years was barbaric, it was inhumane, it was insane, and never should black folks been subjected to that kind of a treatment for 400 years. I have here with me, thank God for this walking stick. You heard me say before that I had an esteemed stroke in 2010, God spared my brain and my head and my mouth, but I was just compromised a little bit with my mobility. But thanks be to my helper here, this walking stick that was given to me by a Ghanaian. And this stick says a whole lot. It is a symbol of a Sokofa bird. And this bird is looking backwards in order to go forward with an egg in its mouth, symbolizing you can't have a dream of a better day unless you are well grounded in knowing history and looking back. That's why I thank God that my wife and my, all of my grandchildren and all of our children were able to go to Cape Coast Castle so they would see what our ancestors were subjected to. 
Just think about it. At Cape Coast Castle, when you look back, you will discover that there our ancestors were stacked down into dungeons, four rooms, a thousand at a time. Men and women and children were not able to, for four months, go out to relieve themselves. Trenches were dug in the floor of the dungeon. And then, you know what they did? They had the unmitigated gall to have a surveillance window from an ornate, plush Church of England at the top to make sure that if anybody got out of line, they would be thrown into the cell of no return. And then it was another four months across that Atlantic. Some jumped overboard. Others who were sick were thrown overboard, eaten by socks. Why do I cite all of this? When you travel, you're well-traveled. You will get a sense of what horror, what hell, and what meanness a people were subjected to who were treated like tools and not respected as human beings. But thanks be to God, you at Temple Emmanuel have joined hands with us in order that we may say to America, God didn't make no mistake when God made Jews and made black people. And in this nation, there should never be another outright march saying down with the Jews and saying the N-word, for we are all God's children. God made us all of one blood to dwell on the face of this earth. So we were taught to be well-read, well-spoken, well-traveled, to know what else is happening in the world. But then you got to be well-balanced, well-balanced. There's too much extremism in this nation. You got the alt-right over here. You got the liberals over there. And we're going to capsize this nation because we are not balanced. Don't you know that a young rock singer, Aaliyah, lost her life down in the Caribbean? Not because the plane crashed, but after the plane went down, you know what they discovered? That the plane was not balanced. The luggage was too much on one side of the plane. And this nation is going to go down if we don't get rid of this extremism that has taken us away from the centerpiece, the conference of balance. It takes two wings for a bird to fly and two wings for an airplane to stay in there. And we had better be balanced like a Morehouse man. For Jesus on that boat stood up and he spoke like a God and said, peace, be still. But finally, you got to be well-dressed. <laughs> oh, yes. They called Dr. Martin Luther King tweed. He had a tweed suit that was so sharp, it would cut you like a razor. 
I have in my possession a picture of him when he was 19 years old with officers of the Calvary Baptist Church of Chester, Pennsylvania. And there he was in the middle, in the center place. A young man, bright with possibilities at Crozer. But at Mohouse, he learned that in this world, young people, 80% is spoken of who you are by how you look. But we come to the point in this nation, and particularly in some communities, where we go around looking like we just got out of the sack. But at Morehouse, you couldn't eat breakfast on Sunday morning unless you had a tie and a jacket on. And Pop Warner would stand at the door and make sure that he checked you out. And if you came there not with a tie on, the old man would say, go back, go back, don't you come in here. Martin Luther King Jr. learned that, and many great persons of note, Joe Williams, Nat King Cole, I could call the role. They all looked like they were somebody. They talked like they were somebody. They spoke like they were somebody. They were balanced in their ways, and they were well-read beyond their fields as Renaissance universal men and women. God knows, in America this day, we are going through a storm, and the ship is about to capsize. But we can save the ship of state when we got more red well people, more well-spoken individuals, more well-traveled souls, well-balanced servants of God, and more important, look like you're somebody. We used to sing a song in our tradition, I'm a child of the king. I'm a child of the king. My father's rich in houses and lands. He holds the wealth of the world in his hands of rubies, of diamonds, of silver gold. His coffers are full. He has riches untold. I am a child of the king. That's why we celebrate Martin Luther King, because he was a man who gave presence to his life, stood up, and though he was only five feet, seven inches tall, but he had no Napoleonic complex. He was always big in soul, tall and moral, tall and understanding, tall and love. And that's what we need in this world. We don't need any more midgets and giant-sized positions in this world. We messed it up. And we don't need just men in seats in this world. These women have got to help us save this nation and save this world. Thanks be to God that we have this movie coming out, Harriet. And I thank God that Frederick Douglass and Harriet both were believers. Many people don't know that Frederick Douglass was not just an abolitionist. He was also an AME Zion preacher and Harriet Tubman was by his side with a pistol in one hand and the Bible in the other, saying, you better come on and go to freedom's land. And she led folks to freedom. She led them to a better plight because she too was balanced in her thinking. She knew that there was a time to be peaceful and there was a time to stand up and make sure you had your fire, to defend your home 
to defend your palace. And if we don't watch out, if we get to let this man get back in that White House and the alt-right takes over, you better have something to defend yourself and not be a sitting duck and a sacrificial lamb. For God wants you to live too. God wants you to have peace. God wants you to have hope. And nobody is good enough, wise enough, or powerful enough to rule you and me. For we're God's children, and we got to fight on, bring calmness, that we'll be able to say, we have found peace in the valley. Not someday, but we found it this day because God sent us, Martin Luther King Jr., a well-balanced man. Thank you. Thank you.